Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks, share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real. In five, four, Three, two, one, zero. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, we have Pete Kroll, the partner and director of sustainable investing at Earth Equity Advisors. Pete, thanks for coming on the show today, my man. Thank you so much for having me. I've uh, I've been looking forward to looking forward to this for a while. Same here. So, Pete, before the show, you're telling me your favorite season's fall. You're from Buffalo, yeah. New York. You currently reside in Asheville, North Carolina. And I, 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 we may have had this conversation last time, Pete, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but Asheville, North Carolina, best place in the world 
to go to a random bar at midnight and order a BLT. Some of the best food I've had in my life there. So oh, we have we we have great food here. We have great restaurants. Uh, we've been multiple times selected as Beer City USA. We've got so many breweries and. Um, it, but it's beyond it's beyond that too. There's great art. There's great music. Uh, there's hiking. We have pretty much all around us here. Uh, it's it's a great city to live in. It's progressive. People are are uh, aware of uh, you know each other. And what what I always like to say about uh, Asheville is um, people are both interested and interesting. And so you can always go somewhere and and have a have a great conversation with somebody. I found that to be accurate when I was there. There would be random people we'd meet, whether it was the musician performing at some underground bar or someone on a, on a park bench. Yeah. Uh, always an interesting time in Asheville. Very welcoming people. I'd say. Were you here for the Mo Conference back a couple of years ago? We were there for the Mo Conference, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I was uh, I was part of that organizing committee. Way It feels like forever ago. Obviously, we've lost several years through the pandemic, so... And, you know, a lot of people don't know that uh, just a little bit further away um, there in uh, Charlotte, I think it's mm-hmm. like the second growest or second fastest growing financial area in, in, the, in the country behind New York and San Francisco or something like that. Yeah, a lot of banks there. Uh, Bank of America is based out of there. Um, a lot of mortgage banking. My nephew, uh, he's not th- he's not doing mortgage banking now, but he's he's been in the mortgage banking industry there for several years. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of financial services going on over there. And I was curious actually just the other day, like I was someone told me that fact. I said, what was like the main economy in the Carolinas? Was it tobacco? Was it some type of textiles? Trade, um, textiles textiles in fact there's it's interesting there's a um there's a company in old fort which is sort of just down the mountain from us and they're called kitspo and they focus uh, on, on a lot of riding like uh, cycling gear and such uh they're a new b corporation and they're really working to try to bring back uh the apparel industry um apparel manufacturing industry here to uh, north carolina and they're doing it in a different way uh, a lot of what you buy over there is made to order and so they can do it in a different way in, in that they don't have to maintain a huge inventory. They're, they're training people once again in the art of sewing and the art of, of actually manufacturing quality clothing. And it's, it's, it's really exciting to see them. Um, you know, David, their, their, their CEO, is a friend and has done an amazing job of actually uh, really developing that, uh, that business over there in a small community that really needed that kind of a lift. It's fascinating to kind of learn about the evolution of companies like that, how they're able to do that in today's day and age with today's technology, why it's good for business, why it's good for their employees, why it's good for their stakeholders, the economy. I'm just curious, like as an investor, like do you spend time looking at the history, the evolution of capitalism? Walk me through like how you kind of got into this space and what you yeah. find most interesting about the impact sector. So I started out off in this business back in 1998. Uh, prior to that, I had actually been in retail electronics. And um, that's where I got my sort of sales chops, if you will, and, and, and leadership. Uh, I, was, I, I remember I was actually working just outside of Cincinnati across the river in, in Kentucky. And I was selling not electronics, but white goods. Um, you know, washers and dryers and ranges and refrigerators and stuff like that. 
and I was the manager of the department and I was by far the absolute youngest person in the department, but I was, I was running things. But I learned a lot from the people who I was working with who had been managers and had many other careers uh, prior to them. Um, and, 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 you know, I think that that translated well as I've moved forward into financial services. So when the company I was working for went out of business, I reached out to my, the advisor that I was working with at Merrill Lynch up in Buffalo and said, hey, can you get me a job somewhere? I was actually in Roanoke, Virginia at the time. And um, he said, you know, sure, I get, get you an interview. I, I, I went through the interview process, was hired on at Merrill, uh, went through their really good, at least at the time, training program, learned a ton about the markets. I had always had an interest in it, but, you know, my degree is actually in communication and not in business or not in finance or anything like that. Uh, which, when it comes to sustainable investing, I think it's really important to be able to communicate what you do. Uh, you know, I was able to learn all the, the the financial aspects of things through through Merrill and just you know over the years. Um, so I uh, worked at Merrill for several years and realized that it, it, I I didn't want to continue to you know to coin a phrase you know work for the man um, for the rest of my career. And in uh, nine, let's see, in um, 2004, uh, I had switched over to, to another firm for a short time, just realized that that was not the answer. And I basically took the, took the leap off the cliff and said, I'm going to, I'm going to hang my shingle up and let's see what happens. And right about that time, right before that, I had a chance to spend some time with a gentleman named Bill McDonough. Uh, Bill McDonough, of course, is the green architect who wrote the book Cradle to Cradle, who was really, really involved in sustainable architecture and uh, circular economies. And so I get, had a, an opportunity to spend uh, an afternoon with him. And then I was also dating uh, Melissa, who's, who's my wife now, um, and who's also a lot smarter than I am. She has PhDs in microbiology and molecular genetics. Um, so, but we were having long conversations about sustainability. We were having conversations about how that integrates into the financial services industry. And so together we came up with this concept of what has evolved into earth equity. And so that was back in 2003, 2004, it was June of 04 that I actually hung the shingle up and have, uh, you know, started out with what was socially responsible investing and what has evolved over, you know, almost the last 20 years now. Uh, into sustainable and responsible investing. So that's a great kind of segue into what we want to talk about today. We're discussing a little bit before the show. You know, there's a lot of talk out there about this evolution of, of ESG or is it impact mm -hmm. or what's the difference? It's a little confusing. Let's start back though with SRI, social responsible investing. In your experience, Pete, what's been kind of the evolution of each philosophy? So, I mean, if we, we go back even, you know, well before uh, when I got into the business, a lot of it was really focusing on, um, you know, folks that might have been religious who didn't want to own companies that were involved with, say, gambling or uh, tobacco or, or alcohol. And so there was a lot of uh, a lot of the focus was on exclusionary tactics. So what don't we want to own? And it was less about um what our current philosophy is, which is investing in positive solutions. Um, but that's, you know, back then that's what it was. And there was, there's, there was then, and there really still is to this, to this day, 
uh, sort of three legs to to sustainable or socially responsible investing, which was um, you know exclusion and inclusion. So in other words, picking what you want in. Uh, number two is shareholder advocacy. So using your proxies to push companies to be better. Uh, and third is community investing, making sure that a portion of your assets are going into. I know, for example, we use Community Reinvestment Act notes. Um, it might be Calvert Impact notes, uh, which we also use. Just different things like that, where the money is not necessarily going to a big corporation, but it's going to support communities for, say, affordable housing or job retraining or, or, or affordable health care, things like that. So that's 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 sort of the genesis. And you know, if, if you want, I assume that you want me to just continue going through as in terms of what the evolution is. So. Um, you know, there, there's still a lot of firms that do that. And that's, you know, that's uh, the, I think that's a good basis to start from. Um, I think the biggest change or I don't know, I'm sure change is the right word, but the, the, the biggest um, new advance is sort of this ESG um, thing, if you want to call it that, uh, you know, environmental, social and governance. And that has what 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 ESG has tried to do is really quantify uh, impact in an environmental, a social, and a governance perspective. And sometimes it's done well, sometimes it's not. There's no standard at this point, and I so I think that that's where some of the um, that's where uh, actually a lot of the, the the people who are criticizing it are basing it on that. You know, MSCI looks at things one way, Sustainalytics looks at things another way, uh, you know, another rating company looks at things a third way. And when you look at a particular company, some one can have an A sustainability rating and one can have a D sustainability rating. And so there's no standardization there. So um, this is where my criticism starts to come in with the ES with ESG is that if you're going to invest sustainably, you can't just take some arbitrary numbers, layer it over an index, and call it sustainable. You can't just say that this is a a portfolio that is um, that 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 is going to do good in the world because none of those none of those uh, data points necessarily agree with each other. And it is what what Bill McDonough, the the gentleman I talked about earlier, it's what he calls being less bad. And so when uh, when I really try to distinguish the difference between ESG and sustainable investing, which is what we do, uh, I break it down the, this way. So an ESG index that uh, reduces its exposure to ExxonMobil is less bad. Pretty simple. A, a An investment that eliminates Exxon entirely is better but one that replaces it with, say, first solar is actually sustainable. And so our definition of sustainable investing is just simply this. It is investing in companies that are positive and that are providing solutions to the biggest challenges that we're facing, uh, be it climate change, be it equity issues, uh, you know, wh whatever it is. So. Okay. Very helpful. That was a very long-winded answer. I apologize for that. It, it, it... I'd find it difficult if it were to be a short-winded answer. Um, it, it, there's a lot to unpack there. I think what might be helpful absorbing this, Peter, for the audience to learn, why should I care about this? How is this applicable for mm -hmm. me either as a company or an investor? Like, What are some of the applications 
of ESG. For an investor, is it a risk lens? Do you look at companies that way and say, okay, well, they've got a pretty good ESG score. I don't think that uh, anything that's going to happen with social pressures or the environment that's going to cause that stock to go down or that company to go down. Is it a risk lens? Is it another way that, as you have just increased transparency, like what are some of the applications yeah. of, of ESG? I think it's I think it's twofold. I think that risk is not is ESG in and of itself is about reducing risk. It's about identifying different areas in companies where there are risks associated with environmental, social or governance and doing doing their best as a portfolio manager to manage those risks. So it might be entirely eliminating a company. It might be reducing an exposure to it. Or conversely, it might be seeing that you have a low low um, uh, risk with one of those companies, and you might increase its uh, you might increase its allocation. The second thing is in terms of opportunity. So when when I look at sustainable investing, I look at investing. 5, 10, 20 years down the road, because I'm looking at investing in the companies that are providing solutions to, to uh, sustainability issues. I'm looking at companies that are focused on resiliency, because I think we all know, and we're experiencing it right now, California's getting it with rains right now, uh, fires, drought, everything else. Climate change is already happening. It's not, it's not something that we sort of vision out in the future. Um, so we have to not just be looking at how we're going to reduce our current emissions, but we also have to be looking at how are we going to invest in resiliency? Because again, climate change is here. Uh, we need to reduce its impacts as much as possible. So how can we find companies that, again, are being sustainable from, from an energy and a CO2 um, uh, emissions perspective, but also how are we going to find companies that are going to help us be more resilient to the impacts that are already that that are already happening? Okay, so if I'm hearing you right, ESG as a risk lens uh, is applicable. However, what you're saying is you want to go a little step further because it's really just an index. So you can kind of see you can make your own investments, but you're looking at the opportunity and where the opportunity lies, and the opportunity lies relies in for-profit companies who have intentionally identified a social or environmental problem, wrapped a business model around it, and as they grow, they solve more problems, and kind of use this impact-esque operating system where it's kind of holistic. Your employees are engaged, they're, they're locked into a mission. Um, maybe the leaders of the organizations, the governance are very intentional about inspiring them through that, managing them through that. Help me understand a little bit more about your conversations with the leaders at these companies. Where do they see the uh, return on having an impact focus? Well, because we're still a fairly small fish, we're not necessarily having conversations with some of these leaders. Um, the way I look at putting together. So we have our, our Green Sage sustainability portfolio is our sort of our signature individual stock portfolio. And so when I'm putting that together, I am prioritizing different industries. I'm prioritizing industries that are impactful, that have an opportunity, um, not only now, but especially in the future, because investing is not about everyday movements in stock prices, investing is about taking a look at the long term and how can we build long term value and long term growth uh, versus, you know, the uh, the uh, Robin Hood trading that we saw, especially during the pandemic.
So, um, but I want to I want to address a couple of the different industries uh, and and explain why we think that they're important and and how they fit into a um, sustainable portfolio. You know, and I'm going to move past the obvious ones like like solar panels and wind uh, wind farms or or batteries and things like that. Um, but the first one I'm going to I want to mention is, is real estate, and that's you know because we know that buildings. Uh, account for you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 percent of emissions and so anytime we can find a, a a property manager or a real estate investment trust that owns properties um, that is either taking their their uh, legacy assets and converting them to lead lead certified buildings uh, making them more energy efficient etc that is somebody who we would like to invest in because they are making their buildings more efficient. They're looking at it from livability perspective, um, water, how's the building using water, et cetera. So that's that's one area where there's uh, an opportunity. And you know, along with that, what are the companies that are providing those technologies, the insulation technologies, the lighting technologies, the different um, you know different aspects of those upfits or those original builds? Um, Biotechnology is is another area, and and I'm lucky again that I've got a really smart wife on the uh, on the um, uh, biology side. But um, you know, I'm a strong believer that a, a a healthier society is a more sustainable society. And so, with a lot of the advances that we've seen in uh, gene editing and CRISPR technologies, uh, where we actually have a chance to to cure diseases. Uh, not just treat them, not just not just sort of put a Band-Aid over things. We can actually go to the source where some of these issues are and fix it at, at the genetic level, at the DNA level, is really exciting. And, and we think that that is a, an opportunity from a sustainability perspective. And the third one that I want to point out is actually on the finance side, uh, insurance. People don't necessarily think about insurance from a sustainability perspective, but I think that insurance is key. I think that it's core to anything, uh, to any major progress from a sustainability perspective. Because if we look at the, the the intensity of the storms, the droughts, and everything else that that we're starting to see, at the end of the day, who is paying for the damage that those that that is being caused by those uh, by those intensified storms? It's the insurance industry, and so the insurance industry has a huge opportunity to be able to push both companies and municipalities to become uh, better citizens, if you will, to become more sustainable, to become more resilient in their practices, to take a look objectively at, let's say you're a manufacturer and you have a manufacturing facility on the coast and you've had to pay out uh, multiple, uh, you know, for multiple incidents because of weather, uh, hurricanes or whatever it is, uh, if I'm an insurer, I'm doing one of two things. I'm coming to you and I'm saying either you need to you know, move this facility, you need to make it more resilient, um, or we're going to either, either increase your policy or we're going to cancel your policy or increase your premium or cancel your policy. They actually have a they're in a really unique position as arbiters of risk to push a sustainability, a climate change friendly, and 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 an equity from an equity perspective as well, um, to be able to make sure that companies are uh, lowering that risk for how they treat the communities that that are surrounded by them. I mean, we know traditionally that highly polluting industries are typically in 
um, poverty-stricken areas. That's another liability that insurers can push to 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 write uh, to write. So, Pete, there's a lot of major headwinds in there that you just had mentioned. Climate being one of them. People reacting to climate catastrophes. Insurance industry um, hedging for risk. Municipalities governance. To you, what do you think is really driving? all of these decisions, just driving this movement, driving this change, which is, I guess, would be where you'd see the opportunity. Like, what are those headwinds? The headwinds are the, disp- are the, are the, the climate deniers, obviously. You know, they're the, they're the ones who, who want to um, stay on the same track. You know, they're the ones who aren't uh, making adjustments to how they uh, run their businesses. They're the ones. So we've seen a lot of pushback, and we talked about this before we came on, uh, about politics and the politicians who are, you know, anti-ESG and the legislation that we've seen in, you know, Texas or Florida or West Virginia or some of these places, um, how they're they're upset with BlackRock because BlackRock um, is doing what they call woke capital or woke investing or whatever whatever their term de jour is um that is a that that's something that we need to like really talk about because at the end of the day ESG is just simply a, a enhanced due diligence right it's just it's just getting more data um and overcoming the the headwinds of these uh, politicians who are for more than any, more than anything else, just simply trying to froth up their base. Um, I, I was I was on the phone with a Bloomberg reporter a couple of days ago, and and he was asking if I thought that all of what's going on with politicians uh, is is actually reducing ESG fund flows, so money going into uh, ESG mutual funds and ETFs, and and I really don't think so because I think the people. Who are going to invest sustainably who want to invest sustainably aren't listening to what these politicians are saying what they're doing is they're going to invest because they believe that it's a better both from a risk perspective and and a long-term investment opportunity perspective um the folks who are listening to those politicians weren't going to invest with us anyways and so you know at, at, at the end of the day um I think that sustainable investing is only going to continue to grow because, you know, we look at companies like GM and Ford that are completely transitioning their um, their product lineups to EVs. That train has already left the left the station. Uh, if if you're attached to your fossil fuel stocks, well, good luck with that because ultimately they're going to be the 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 uh, the buggy whips of the 21st century. I think it's important to talk about this if you want to go there because um, there's a lot of misconceptions on both sides. There's a lot of pros and cons on both sides. And I don't even want to say sides. I think sides is the whole problem about this thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, let's just give an example, I guess, what the counter argument would be. You know, as you mentioned, woke and what they're saying is, you know, go woke, go broke. Uh, there's concessionary returns. Um, you will have to refuse some returns in order to invest sustainably, which yeah. 
has been... Which isn't um, true. Which isn't true, for the most part. Could be true for some companies, though. Um, and then also looking at ESG. ESG, and one of the best companies that scored the highest in the ESG was McDonald's. How can McDonald's score so high <laughs> in ESG? Um, you know, and, and so, and then you go kind of, kind of to the small business, and the small business, especially if you're, let's say, you own a car dealership, you make most of your money in, in actually not sales, but servicing. That's right. So if you have an electric engine, you know, you don't need a lot of servicing, then your business kind of goes down and it screws you and it screws really everyone else. And, you know, you grew up being a mechanic and you love gas powered cars and these electric engines uh, have not a great towing power and you don't believe that they're actually better cars and that this whole system is wrong. And if the grid goes up, it's, it's burning more power. And actually, you know, in Tesla, where are you getting your energy from? Most of it's from coal. It's from fossil fuels. So there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of arguments on both sides. I don't know if there is a silver bullet, but here's my counterline. I want to hear your thoughts on this, Pete, is I don't think impact investing is anything new. I don't think sustainable investing is anything new. I think it's just a good investment philosophy, and you're entitled to your own investment philosophy. So I'd be curious to kind of hear your thoughts and kind of where this conversation is going, and if there's any solutions to kind of mitigate and build a bridge between the average Joe think, investor. Yeah. I think I think a lot of it just is do it comes down to education. Because we're we're we 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 have become a society that is focused on sound bites. And when you create phrases like woke investing, it just it it, it it's no different than um you know any of the other things that, that that politicians have done to divide us but at the end of the day if you're an investor you want to have the best risk adjusted return that you can possibly get and if you're not integrating into it all of the risks that that are inherent in a particular company then you're not going to get down the road long term the best risk adjusted return because you're not taking into account environmental factors which are material um, there's there's been a lot of hubbub this was in Utah where the um, one of the politicians actually a couple of politicians out there got upset because one of the one of the bond rating agencies put a warning on Utah bonds because of drought risks now, if that's not a material issue, I'm not really sure what is. Hmm. Uh, so, if you if you can't include issues like, like like drought risk, if you can't include issues like like coastal storm risk that are material, we can see how much it costs when a when a hurricane tears up a town, tears up a manufacturing facility. Um, then you're then 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 you're wearing blinders. You're 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 not actually investing as well as you possibly can. And so that's the first thing I would say is we need to look at ESG not as being woke, but as simply as being enhanced due diligence. And if you don't think that social issues are material, um, then then you need to understand that more diverse companies, and I don't have the specific um, studies on this, but more diverse companies typically are better performing companies. That's just simply the way it is. You have better perspectives, you have more perspectives, you have people um, coming at, at 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 problems from different angles, 
Uh, and on the governance side, I, I'll start out by saying that I'm not even, I don't even think that G should be included in, in ESG because governance should be a part of all, I mean, ESG should be a part of all research, period. But governance is nothing special. It should be a part of research going back all the way to Enron when when nobody was paying attention to any of the, the, the governance issues that they had. Um, so that's that's the first thing is education and really understanding that ESG isn't about woke investing. It's about just understanding that it is advanced or better due diligence investing. Uh, a second thing is that when we look at sustainable investing, and I'm going to step aside from ESG, but just towards more sustainable uh, investing from the way we define it. Um, it's about investing in the future. It's about looking at companies that are going to be solutions based. And if you're looking at innovation and if you're looking at companies that are going to um, really um, integrate some of the issues that we're dealing with and coming up with solutions for those, those are companies that I want to invest in because those are going to be the growing companies. If you if you're investing in an index that involve that that you know includes yesterday's companies if it includes the fossil fuels and, and 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 companies that got us to this point it's really what i like to call rearview mirror investing you're investing in what got us here yesterday we want to be looking forward investing in in solutions that are going to take us forward now i'm not saying that some of those companies can't evolve but the odds of them evolving in a way that's going to push them to be leaders in a different industry or a an industry that is not core to who they are is is, is not is, is not likely. Um, I, I love that you pointed out McDonald's being a, being like a top ESG company and um, just because they stopped selling styrofoam um, cups and just because they've made a few tweaks to to their business model does not make them a sustainable company. It may reduce some of their ESG risk, um, but it doesn't make them a sustainable company. And again, that is where we really need to look at that distinction because McDonald's is not a solutions-based positive company. They are just they're they're just put on a scale of being bad versus less bad. It's really it's an interesting conversation. And the next topic I'd like to go into, Pete, uh, and I think it's really relevant what had just happened with your company is growth and how to sustain impact as a growing company when it gets to be larger and larger would you mind just sharing a little bit more about like your recent acquisition mm -hmm. how that process went i think that'd be very helpful for a lot of our ceo listeners who are yeah. going through a similar process yeah so like i said we've been doing sustainable investing since uh, 2004 and my business partner, Neil Yelverton, and I probably, I would say over the last four or five years have, have just had this conversation about how do we scale? You know, because if you're a, if you're a hundred million dollar investment manager and you're going up against the Black Rocks of the world that have seven trillion, or I'm, I don't even know where they're at right now, but you know, crazy amounts of, uh, of assets under management and crazy marketing engines at the same time, uh, it's really difficult to, uh, to, to make our impact on that. And so Neil and I were ha have been having conversations for several years about how do we do this? Uh, and we've, we've, we've done a good job of growth at our, at, at our level, but 
at some point it was time for us to to really look and see how can we scale this up more because we have a really unique sustainable investing um, portfolio. We have we have we have um, portfolios that are not your run-of-the-mill ESG, that are not your run-of-the-mill SRI, that they're really positive and really solutions-based. And so we knew that every time we have a conversation with somebody about this, they're interested and they want to know more about it. So how do we scale this up? So we went through a process with a consultant who helped us put our systems in place, our processes in place to prepare for, uh, for, for, for more clients, to prepare for more products and services that we offer. Uh, we went through that. Um, we had some really excellent growth through 20 and 21. Um, and at that time we said, you know what, it's time. We were looking at the growth of sustainable investing and um, it was, it just seemed to be at a turning point where things really were, were content. There was a lot of momentum and we were afraid that we were going to get left behind as a as a smaller investment manager and so we uh the, the consultant that we had worked with um introduced us to an investment banker who worked, specializes in financial services and we went through the process of finding a partner uh, a partner who is bigger than us obviously uh who has uh, more advisors that we can work with who can use our portfolios um, and just has a bigger marketing engine that can get our name, that can get our products out to a, a much bigger audience. And so um, we closed this past December 16th, which was actually my birthday. So it was a uh, the best birthday present I've ever got uh, with, with a company called Prime Capital Investment Advisors. And uh, they're based out of Kansas City. And they are a traditional investment advisor, but, they, but, but, but their leadership saw and understood that sustainable investing is going to be a really, really important piece of the investment industry going forward, especially as millennials um, start to take over a lot of money that is being left to them, that, that they're inheriting. It's called the great wealth transfer, and it's supposed to happen probably over the next five to 10 years. We're, we're going to see trillions with a T, trillions of dollars being handed down to a different generation who has very, very different values than their parents and grandparents had. And so um, Glenn, the CEO uh, over at uh, over at Prime Capital, saw that this was a, this was a necessity for them to have an investing uh, arm focused on sustainability. And for us, I mean, it was it was really good for both of us in that we brought them uh, 18 years of sustainable investing and the track records and everything that go along with it. And for, for, for them or for us, we now have, you know, 220, 240 different advisors that we can now market our um, portfolios to. So that way they don't have to be experts in sustainable investing, that we can be the experts for them, provide them with the portfolios that they need. Because the reality is they're going to be, if they haven't been asked by their clients about sustainable investing, they're going to be. That's just the way things are at this point. And so we're, we're excited to find a partner who really wanted us and who we really wanted. And, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're less than a month into the, uh, uh, into the partnership, but everything, um, you know, leads us to believe that this is going to be really, really successful. Well, congratulations on the uh, Thank you. liquidity event. Um, that's something that 
might be of interest to a lot of the CEOs because a lot of the CEOs I feel like in our space and in our communities are trying to figure out what makes a successful exit. When you and your partner were kind of sitting down having those conversations, what was the answer you landed on? Um, for us, a successful exit was creating a legacy. So one of the things that was really important to us when we were, when our investment banker was out there and I guess you could say shopping us, if you will, um, was that earth equity remained earth equity. Um, it doesn't make any sense for us to change our name to prime capital investment advisors because it doesn't convey what we do and we're going to continue to convey what we do. So that was one of, that was just a, a sort of a be all end all. Anybody who said, no, we're just going to integrate you and you're going to just become a part of us. We weren't interested in working with uh, and, and prime capital understands and they get the idea that earth equity actually is a prime, no, no pun intended brand and that it's descriptive and that it, it you know that if you invest with us that uh, where our priorities and where our values are and so for us you know leaving a legacy where you know you know at some point god knows when uh down the road when when, when neil and i leave that it continues to go forward with the same values that we created for it it's a it's a great philosophy and i think that really embodies like what a good leader is it's someone who wants to leave things far better than they found it uh, i'm curious to know pete in all of this what is your definition of a real leader a real leader is somebody who is willing to do whatever it takes to improve the business, to take care of clients. And I, I, I was on um, Carolina Business Review on PBS a few weeks ago, and I used the same example. I hate to duplicate it, but it's really a perfect example here. Uh, in Asheville, there is a, I know, surprise, a, uh, a craft brewery. Um, there, there's, there's lots of them here, uh, for those of you who haven't been here before. Um, but one of the original ones is a place called Highland Brewing. And Highland was founded by a, a gentleman named Oscar Wong. And Oscar is a legend here in Asheville in, from, in the craft brewing community. And my wife and I were out there one Friday evening and just we, we were outdoors um, chatting with some friends. And I, I sort of look uh, down the building and there's a guy sweeping the walkway. And uh, didn't think anything of it, but as he got closer, I realized that it was Oscar. He was out there and he was making sure that his facility looked good. Um, he was making sure that all the little details were covered. And when, when I think, I actually, I wrote a blog about it afterwards because it was so impactful for me. A, a real leader is somebody who is willing to go the extra mile to do whatever it takes to, to improve the product, to improve the client experience and who leads their employees by doing uh who, by not being above doing anything that's that's required to do like sweeping the walkway uh taking the trash out whatever it is um and so in in my mind i could not have exemplified it better than 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 watching oscar out there that day well put, well said. Definitely has an impactful story. Thanks for sharing that, Pete. Pete Kroll. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, do whatever it takes 
And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate it. I had, had a, uh, a fun time. Likewise.